Praise the Lord. God is good. And all the time, God is good indeed. We are blessed to be on this side of history as we wait for the clouds to open, the trumpet to sound, and for God to say, come home, come home. Um, yes, I am Chetty, this is Jan, and we have the privilege of working with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Indonesia. You can put that first slide up um, for us now. And we're very happy to be home again and to be in church where we understand everything that's happening. <laughs> um, we go to church in Indonesia and in Lihavu, and sometimes you get 70%, sometimes 80%. Well, for me, <laughs> um, 80%. 7%. 7 <laughs> so we're very happy to be um, here with you and to be worshiping God in, in our, well, yes, our mother tongue. Uh, one of my mother tongues, English. Okay, so as I said, we are, we work with Wycliffe Bible Translators um, in Indonesia. And you can go to the next slide. And if you look on that map, you'll see uh, some of the sections are in red. And those sections represent um, some of the greatest needs in Bible translation today. And one of the regions highlighted is actually Indonesia. So currently, Indonesia has one of the highest uh, translation needs in the world. They have a, a, there's a large um, number of languages there that are yet to have a translation project started in those languages. But praise God, the world of Bible translation is making a lot of progress. And so currently, there are translation projects in process in over 1,500 languages in the world. Over 1,500. You can clap for that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this, that progress represents a, a, a great partnership that's taking place in the world of Bible translation right now. So I'm with Wycliffe, and I've been seconded to the seed company, and there are groups like E10, and there's a lot of um, mission agencies doing Bible translation today, and we praise God for that. But there's still a need. There are still over 1,200 languages waiting, waiting for a project to be started. And so we have a lot of work to do to pray and to support as best as we can so that these languages can have portions, if not the New Testament and the Old Testament, in years to come. Next slide. So we get to serve in southeastern Indonesia. So if you were to come back with us, like we'll be heading back in mid-January, um, we'd fly from Orlando to Chicago, and then Chicago to Tokyo on about 12-hour flight, and then from Tokyo down to Jakarta, Indonesia, which is uh, that long dotted line there on the map. So it's about seven hours stay overnight there. There's an Alliance guest house. Um, and then from there, we'd take about a three-hour flight to the eastern part of the country, to Kupang. And that city is where uh, the headquarters is. We were talking about partnership before. So we get to work in partnership with the local church, the Gamit Church. 
And besides the Sabu project kind of coming under their jurisdiction, they're also engaged in about 20 other lang local language projects. Um, and so when we're at headquarters and we've got a picture of us hanging out up there with our um, HQ colleagues at the top uh, for one of last year's Christmas party. <laughs> but um, so when we're at headquarters, we'll um, do any work there, workshops if we need to have some meetings. But headquarters in Kupang is also important to us because it's a place where we stack up on supplies um, and bring things over to Sabu. So from Kupang then to get over to Sabu, if uh, it's barely recognizable, but there's a little dotted line there. That's a 12-hour ferry ride. <laughs> and it's a village context, so you know, no curbside pickup there, no, <laughs> um, yeah, <not>, no. <laughs> natural, all natural. All natural, that's right, that's right. So the picture at the bottom kind of represents, um, you know, our office context on Sabu, which is basically represented by us and Chetty working with mother tongue translators and then the local church and our local neighbors, that's it. No international church, no other missionary expats there. Okay, next slide. We'll talk about your role. Okay, so um, our role right now is I work as a um, project facilitator for the Lee Havu translation project. Um, and what that means is I sit with the team and I advise them on issues having to do with exegesis and um, naturalness, accuracy, linguistic issues and things like that. I also have a second role now as a, a CIT, it's a consultant in training. So I'm being trained to become a Bible translation consultant. And um, what that means is I help other teams with the final check before they publish with a book of the Bible or portions of, of a book of the Bible. So I, I sit with them to check their work. And it's been great so far, and I really thank God um, for um, giving wisdom um, to really um, understand his word and be able to help others in, in the work that we're all doing together in Indonesia. So especially in Christmas time, we remember that the word became flesh. God chose to become human, to make himself at home here on earth with us. And we just want to celebrate um, the ways that the word is uh, being made clear and available um, in the ministry of Bible translation and on Sabu. You can go to the next slide. So recently we had the joy of celebrating the launch of the Joseph story in Lihavu. Um, some, of you, some of you may remember us talking about this before COVID. And so <laughs> it was really uh, a, a joy to celebrate the publish of this portion of Genesis with the local church on, on Sabu. And um, now it's being distributed on the island. People can read it. And we're getting good feedback. You know, people are, are saying they're able to understand it. And we just praise God for using us to do this. This didn't exist in their language previously. And we, we thank God that we are a part of it. And I'll say in Indonesian, there are two different us's. 
So this is not a us did it. This is an us, kita, is what we say there. And so with all of us, with the Indonesians, with us, with our partners in Bible translation, with your prayers, as the family of Christ, the folks on Sabu can turn to Genesis 50, verse 20, and they can read it in their language that says, you may have meant it for evil, but God worked it out for good. Praise, Praise the God. Lord. They also have some hymns translated um, up on the uh, screen there is a Ferris Lord Jesus. <laughs> so the Gamit Church is a, is a liturgical church and um, they have their hymns as well. So some of them are Indonesian translated into the Lihavu language and some like Ferris Lord Jesus, like I need thee every hour, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And so um, they have the gift of worshiping in song Songs are very important because every Bible, most Bibles in Indonesia, they have a section at the back where they have the songs that they sing in the services. And so while you're doing translation, we have to be doing songs as well because the Bible is not complete, in a sense, without the songs at the back. So we, we do both things from time to time. So we're very happy to be able to do that, to have this songbook. And they love to sing, and they sing really well too. Um... I'll let you do this one. Oh, okay. Genesis, um, the chapters 1 through 36. So now that the translators have worked on the Joseph story, then they go back to the beginning. <laughs> um, and they have completed, there are normally three checks in the translation process. So first, Chetty goes through a team check after the mother tongue translators have started their draft. And then after they've done that team check, there's a community check. So we praise God that those first two checks um, were completed. And the feedback that we got at the community check um, from the lady that's on the left, she said, last year I started reading the book of Genesis, but I didn't understand certain passages after chapter 14 or 18. But when we read these chapters in Lihavu, I understood these passages. So where I did not understand the Indonesian Bible, I understood the Lihavu. And so our next step, amen, praise God, praise God. And so um, God's willing, when we get back, our hope is that the consultant check can be scheduled as soon as possible, and then the entire book of Genesis will be available, God willing, sooner rather than later. And the next slide. We also want to praise God for the gift of long-term visas for Indonesia. It's a real blessing, trust me. <laughs> So um, we were able, with that long-term visa, to then have a long-term lease on a house on Sabu. So we are, we are putting roots down now to be, because we, we sense that God's going to have us there for a while. And so we have a 10-year lease on that house that's in the picture there. And that's us sitting with our, our um, father, is, our host father. Um, he's the one who owns the house, really. So um, 
we thank God for, for those two things, long-term visa and long-term lease, that we can um, start to be, be home. Not have to think about having to leave every six months or ever so often. So we praise God for that as well. Can go to the, thank you. <clears throat> so one thing um, just to share as a testimony that has kind of been sinking in with me this season, and I'm sure others of you have experienced this as well, um, is that God's gifts <laughs> don't always come easy. And I had the opportunity to um, do this exercise as part of a retreat where you acknowledge the places in life where you are sowing in tears, um, as it talks about in Psalm 126, I think. Okay, see, 126.5. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. And um, Chetty and I have been serving overseas with Wycliffe um, for 10 years. And there's been a lot of waiting and back and forth and <laughs> um, lots, of, lots of stories that we can tell. And in this season in particular, going back to Indonesia after my father passing away, and I was hoping that he'd be able to share in some of our experience, and it didn't work out like that. And um, in a context where when we're on the island and we're in the village and there's not a church or a small group that I can go to or hang out with other moms that I can understand, um, it gets lonely. And I had the opportunity to, you know, just acknowledge before God the places where it's hard, um, where it can be discouraging, where it's 90 degrees and you're overwhelmed and you're at home with the kids while your husband's out from like eight to six working on Bible translation. Um, but also then, after spending that time with God, to take a moment and think about what are you, what does the harvest look like to you? What are you trying to reap with joy in your life? What are you working towards um, with God's help for the kingdom of God? And when they finished the consultant check of the Joseph story, and David, who's um, pictured on the far right, said, I learned about Joseph, I gained many new insights, I was spurred on, I hadn't realized the Bible could be clear like this. I'm inspired to pass on things I learned to the people in my youth group. And I think that's the harvest that we're laboring for. For that, if the internet's slow, it's slow. <laughs> if it takes time to learn the language, and it takes time for my kids to have friends, then it takes time. Because I remember growing up having no clue about the Bible. It sat open at my grandmother's apartment. Nobody touched it, nobody read it. It was just there. <laughs> you know, I really thought it was useless because I didn't know anybody who used it. And I remember when I was invited to a church and I sat down and I thought, oh my goodness, you can understand this. It's real, like Jesus is real, you can follow him. This life that they talk about, this abundant life, we can, we can follow Jesus and he will, he will help us with these things. 
And so, you know, um, wherever you might be in life, sometimes in Christian community, <laughs> you know, because the words are printed on the page, sometimes you're going through stuff and you might feel a little bit sensitive and um, you can kind of get the message to just sort of suck it up. <laughs> so I just kind of want you to know that God is kinder than that. Um, he'll take some time to acknowledge what's discouraging in your life and he'll also lead you to joy. Amen. Is there another slide? I think, I think that's it. Okay, that's it. Yes. Um, and I just want to, before we complete, before we um, complete our time, I want to um, ask you to continue to pray for us. Um, we have will be in country until the middle of January, January 17. We have a lot of appointments for the kids and for us, and so please pray that those go well and we get all our appointments in before we go back. And also continue to pray for the, the Lee Havu translation team as we get ready for the consultant to come early next year so we can wrap up Genesis and get it published by the summer. And um, pray also for our travels back to Indonesia, and also for, we'll be going up to New York this week coming to um, bury Jennifer's father's ashes. And um, so just pray for us with that. That'll be a time of grieving. And um, so we just, we need God to hold us up during that. So thank you very much. And um, yeah, Pastor Jesse gave us a lot of time this morning, as you can see. So I, I thought I would share a reflection with you from something that I... I, I've been thinking about since the last uh, consultant check I did, if that's okay. <laughs> it's his fault. It's Pastor Jesse's fault, okay? <laughs> but I won't be long. Um, just want to share uh, with you a reflection of sorts this morning. So recently, I had the privilege of working with a team from the island of Kalimantan. You can look that up on the map. And they were checking the book of John in their language. I, I, I can't say the name of the language because of security reasons. And uh, we were, I had a responsibility for chapter 19 of John's gospel. So you can turn there real quick, and I'll just read a small portion for you. Um, just uh, two verses. Well, uh, yeah. John 19, verse... I'll read from verse 4. It says, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Meaning to crucify Jesus. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power 
Notice that word. I have power either to free you or to crucify you. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. We'll stop there. When you're checking a translation, you, after you work with a team to check for accuracy and check for naturalness and things like that, you sit with locals from the community and you ask them questions about their translation to, to see if they understand. Sometimes... Things can be translated accurately, but it is still confusing to the locals. And so you have to make sure that when they read it, it is not just accurate, but it's also clear. And one of the questions I asked from this passage, from verse 10 to verse 11, was, did Pilate have authority over Jesus? Is that clear from my reading just now, that Pilate had authority over Jesus? Was it clear? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> it, is, it is clear to me. But for, for locals, and a lot of these folks are, they're not, um, they're not um, Christian giants. Many of them are babe in Christ. The church has been around for a long time. As a matter of fact, in Kalimantan, I had the privilege of worshiping at Alliance Church in Kalimantan. I had a lot of Alliance churches in that region, lots of them, and they're, they're fairly big too. The one I went to had two services, so they're doing very good over there, very good work. But when I asked this question, as I suspected, they said no. Pilate did not have authority over Jesus. And it is not that they did not understand, not that it wasn't clear, but the idea was offensive to them, right? As maybe to some of us, Pilate having authority over Jesus, that doesn't sound right. But he did. He did. And it is interesting that God raised up an evil governor to be judge over his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God did that. Okay? The, 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 the crucifixion story is all God's doing. He orchestrated it. He planned it. That was how he planned for salvation to come about. I know John Piper wrote a book about spectacular sins, right? God put all of that together. And so Pilate had authority to judge Jesus, to sentence him to death. And that's what he did. But as I... Listen to the answer from the, the teams. We call them the uninitiated speakers of the language. I started to reflect on this idea that God oftentimes allow evil rulers and very bad situation or, you know, thinking about illnesses and, and sickness to have authority over his children. He's still doing it. He's still allowing his children to be, to be under, um, on, under the authority of people who are not, not good, just very bad people. 
And we come under that sometimes in our work, on the field, we meet different people in power. And I, I started to look on Jesus and to, to figure out what can I learn about how Jesus reacted that I can take um, into my own life. And there are just three things I want to share uh, with you this morning. The first thing when I looked on Jesus and his reaction to Pilate was that Jesus was not intimidated by Pilate's authority. He was not afraid. He was not worried. Jesus knew that Pilate was going to sentence him to death, but he wasn't flustered. He was calm. Pilate was the one who was flustered and running around scared, as the Bible um, tells us. Jesus was fine. And I think this is how God wants us to react as well when we find ourselves in these situations. We need to reject fear, reject anxiety. Don't be afraid. Do not be intimidated when there are people in power who are evil. Don't get angry. A lot of people get angry and they want to do things that are bad. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I won't say that. They, they want to do bad things. But Jesus was calm. Jesus was calm because Jesus understood the why of what was happening. And that's the problem sometimes. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know why. Why, why do I have cancer? And to us, it seems like unfair. Why? Jesus understood the why of what was happening to him. And the why for Jesus was that he was working out our salvation. That's why he came. That's why Advent is, the first Advent is so important to us. Because Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. Matthew said he will, his name is Jesus because he will die for our sins. He's our deliverer. And so Jesus understood why. And I want to say to us that many times when we find ourselves under the authority of cancer or under the authority of some evil ruler, maybe it's an evil official in government or, or other institutions, I believe the why many times is that God wants us to worship him in those situations. God wants us to be obedient to him. God wants us to seek to represent him with the best of our ability, with all of our strength and all of our might. He wants us to worship. He wants us to seek to honor him in those situations. And so if you find yourself with some, you know, some illness that cannot be cured, don't waste it. Use it to glorify God. If you find yourself in a situation where somebody, maybe at your job, they're abusing their authority and you feel powerless, don't waste that situation. Use it to glorify God. Say, God, how can I worship you in this situation? The why is always to worship. The next thing I, I see when I, when I examine Jesus' reaction in this situation was that Jesus, he was still... You know, Pilate has to say to him, why aren't you talking to me? Jesus, he was still. He had peace. He had peace. 
And this morning we talk about peace, um, you know, as we lit the candles. Jesus came that we might have peace and have it more and more and more. He came to give us peace because without Jesus, there is no peace. And in this situation, he was facing death. He was facing suffering, pain. He had peace. So much so that he could, he, he, was a, he, was, he could be still. He could be quiet. A lot of times when we get ourselves in these situations, I know for, for me personally, I get very flustered and get very frantic and trying to do, a different, do different things to try and make things better or to cause the situation to vanish kind of thing. But Jesus didn't do that. And I think it's because Jesus understood that he was not alone in that situation. And it is, it is, it is so powerful to see somebody whose life is being torn apart or their bodies being ravished by pain and to see them being at peace. It is such a powerful thing. And I believe that is what God wants from us as his children when we go through these, um, we find ourselves in these situations. He wants us to be peaceful, not to be worried. He wants us to rest in him. Because the peace doesn't come from outside, it comes from God. It comes from knowing that we belong to God and that nothing can take us out of God. Nothing can take us away from him. That's where the peace comes from. It doesn't come from knowing that, oh, everything's going to be all right, necessarily. It comes from knowing God, having a relationship with him. That's where the peace comes from. Dallas Willard said that with Jesus by our side... The world is a safe place to be. Do you believe that? With Jesus by your side, the world is a safe place to be. Sometimes, you know, when we talk to our family members and our friends, and they said, aren't you scared to be living overseas and, and things like that? Aren't you afraid that something might happen to you? What if you get sick and you can't get to the doctor kind of thing? With Jesus by our side, the world is a safe place to be. We can have peace, even when we're facing evil authority. We can have peace, even when we are feeling the pain of some illness. We can have peace. We can have peace. And you know, sometimes God allows us to go into these situations in order to help us to be still, to be quiet, and to look to him. Because otherwise, you know, we'll be running around doing our own thing. But God wants to work out this peace in our lives. And you allow, whether illness or you allow people to abuse us or to, to, to um, do things that are, are not right in our lives, in our family's life. So that we will find the peace that we need in him. And the last thing I, I, that came to me from my reflection as I think about this, did Pilate 
have authority over Jesus, have power over Jesus, is Jesus point to the fact that Pilate's authority is derived. It is derived. It is not, Pilate doesn't have any authority in and of himself. He only, only what God allowed him to do was he able to do. And this was just so, so powerful to me. The fact that every authority on this planet is derived. God is the, is the one who issues out power and authority to others. He is the ultimate, he's the source of all power. He's the source of all authority. So he gives authority to governments, to officials. He gives authority to even the, the devil, as we see in the story of Job, to, uh, to inflict pain and suffering on his people. And so if God gives authority for you to be afflicted, it means that God knows something about you that you may not know about yourself, but he has confidence in you to survive and to worship him and to have peace in that situation. And this was so encouraging to me. So encouraging to me. God is the one who is ultimately in control. And so nothing that comes our way will be able to separate us from God. Because God will not allow the devil or some unjust officials or any illness to bring us to a place where we are separated from him. He sent Jesus to die for us. He sent Jesus to suffer on the cross so that we would have life and life eternally. And so we can rest in God whatever comes our way. Whoever persecute us. And I was talking to Tom the other night and, you know, we're reflecting on what's happening in the world and in, in America right now. And I see it. There's coming a day when the Christians, I mean, in this country, might very well be persecuted for being a Christian. There's coming a day like that. There's coming a day when maybe your elected official will put bans on, on you worshiping in, in the open air or even worshiping in, in churches. What are you going to do in those situations? You're going to pull on your First Amendment and, you know, call for your gun? No. That's not necessarily what God wants us to do in all situations. He may just want you to be still, to be worshipful, and to remember that these authorities, they're not forever. Only God is forever. Their time is limited. That's why they like to show up themselves so much. But God is the one who has ultimate authority. And he sets up one person and he'll take down another. But our responsibility is to always keep our eyes on Jesus. Live the way he lived. Walk the way he walked, and we will have peace, and we will worship 
God the Father. So this is my short reflection to you this morning. I pray that this would have blessed your heart.